So we've been going through our message, and our message title, uh, our series title is What a Time to Be Alive, um, and we've been going through the book of Esther, and we've been examining the themes and the entities, right? So we're coupling themes and entities, entities being like uh, 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 people or people groups that are in the passage, and we're trying to understand what are things that are understandable or transferable for us that we can learn, that we can use currently in 21st century life? And it's been a little bit of the slow process. You see, what kind of happens is once you start studying something, like God just kind of opens up a bunch of, bunch of different stuff. So something that I thought was going to be a little bit shorter has turned into a slightly longer process. But I promise you that every week God is going to reveal to you something that you can take back with you and use um, for his glory and for the changing and transformation of your body, mind, and soul. Uh, so the first week, we explored oppression and the people of Israel, understanding what it looks like when, God, uh, when, when the people of God encounter oppression and how God orients himself to his people in the midst of that. In our second week, we uh, explored King Xerxes and making decisions. And we saw how his decisions were really indicative of who he was as a person and how it impacted those that he would encounter with. On the third day today, we are going to examine another character and the theme connected to this character. On this third day, we're going to be looking at hate and Hammond. Yes, the word hate or hatred and Haman. And we're going to continue to walk through the book, uh, Haman, excuse me. And we're going to continue to walk through the book of Esther. And we're going to be in chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, and uh, verse 8 through 11. Uh, before we get into the scripture for today, I'm going to have, excuse me, before we continue in the word, uh, one of our dear sisters is going to come up and read the scripture. She's going to actually read. If you have your Bible, you can open it up. We're also going to have the words listed here so you can uh, follow along with us. But we're going to be reading out of the NIRV version, uh, Esther chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, and then verse 8 through 11. Sister Lynn's going to come and read that for us. After those events, King Xerxes honored Haman. Haman was the son of Hamedatha. He was from the family line of Agag. The king gave Haman a higher position that he had before. He gave him a seat of honor. It was higher than the positions any of the nobles had. All the royal officials at the palace gate got down on their knees. They gave honor to Haman. That's because the king had commanded them to do it. But Mordecai refused to get down on his knees. He wouldn't give Haman any honor at all. The royal officials at the palace gate asked Mordecai a question. They said, why don't you obey the king's command? Day after day, they spoke to him, but he still refused to obey. So they told Haman about it. They wanted to see whether he would let Mordecai get away with what he was doing. Mordecai had told them he was a Jew. Haman noticed that Mordecai wouldn't get down on his knees. He wouldn't give Haman any honor, so Haman was very angry. But he had found out who Mordecai's people were, so he didn't want to kill only Mordecai. He also looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people. They were Jews. 
he wanted to kill all of them everywhere in the kingdom of Xerxes. Verse 8. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, certain people are scattered among the nations. They live in all the territories in your kingdom. They keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their practices are different from the practices of all other people. They didn't obey your laws. It really isn't good for you to put up with them. But if it pleases you, give the order to destroy them. I'll even add 375 tons of silver to the king's officials for the royal treasures. So the king took his ring off his finger. The ring had his royal seal on it. He gave the ring to Haman. Haman was the son of Hamedatha the Agite. Haman was the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king said to Haman. Do what you want with those people. Thank you, sister. So I want to go back and, and make sure that we understand what we're focusing in on today. And the topic is hate. Um, and as you read through that scripture, as uh, Lynn read that scripture for us, you can tell kind of what this theme of hate, what it sounds like. And I want to make a clear differentiation between hate and dislike. Ready? Uh, one of the things that I typically say that I hate, but I really don't hate, is uh, the, the, uh, the dish flan, or the dessert flan. Now I had flan a really long time ago, and the first time that I had it, whoever made it just really didn't do a good job. And then that determined my perception of what it tasted like. So I stayed away from it for like, I don't know, it must have been like six or seven years, maybe a little longer than that. And then finally, I was out somewhere and they're like, you need to try this flan. And I was like, no, someone made it actually, they came to my house. And they're like, you need to try this flan. And I was like, no, sorry, I hate flan. It's not really my thing, it's kind of nasty, sorry. And they were like, no, you need to try it. And I told them, I hate flan because of the experience that I had the last time that I had flan. And they said, no, this time it will be different. So I tasted it and it was actually really, really, really good. Now, I still really don't like flan, just to be honest with you. I'm not gonna eat it. Uh, sorry, don't bring it to my house. You're gonna have to take it home with you, la la la, et cetera, et cetera. But I learned that I don't really hate flan. I just don't like it. Now, there's a difference between disliking something, maybe even someone, and hatred towards someone. Now, this theme of hatred is really strong this morning because it's actually one of the things that we're seeing that's the most prevalent in our society right now. The word hate is being thrown around everywhere. People hate this thing or people hate that thing. People hate politics, people hate society, people hate events, people hate topics, people hate entities. Most of all, worst of all, people hate people. And it's this hatred of people that I wanna focus on. The concept of hating people Hating others. You see, this concept is actually all over the Bible if we read it. Cain hating Abel. 
Egypt hating the people of Israel, Saul hating David, the people of Jerusalem hating Jesus, the Jewish elite hating Stephen. People hating other people, unfortunately, is a common theme and an unfortunate, unfortunate element of our existence. And it's something that we got to confront. As a, as a psychotherapist, I can tell you that I've done a lot of work in understanding hate and the, psycholo the psychology of hate. And let me say this. A lot of people think that hate is something that you're born with. But if you actually understand the way that the mind works and you also understand the way that society works and that people are impressionable beings, hate is not something that you're born with. And it brings us to our first point. Hate is learned. Let's go back to verse 1 one more time to understand. You see, uh, in those times, it says that the king honored Haman. Haman was the son of Hamedatha. He was of the family line of Agag. Wait a minute. We have to understand that. Let me tell you why that's important. And as you read the Bible, recognize that everything that the Bible says has importance to it. You may not get it in the moment, but it's important that you do some research or you do what you need to do or do some digging to understand why it's brought up. And let's go into that. See, Agag was the king, or Hamedatha uh, was of the family line of Agag. Agag was a king of the Amalekites. Who were the Amalekites? The Amalekites were the sworn enemy of the people of Israel for generations. You heard that? They were the sworn enemy of people of Israel for generations. They were the descendants, actually, of none other than Esau. Esau, who's Esau? Well, Esau is the brother of Jacob. Jacob, actually, his name was changed to Israel halfway through his life. And he bore 12 sons that would become the 12 tribes of Israel that would become later the people of Israel. Esau was his older twin brother. Why is Esau important? He's important because if we read through scripture, there is a beef that exists between Esau and Jacob or Israel that started from when they were young. Also, Esau is recognized by biblical and anthropological historians as one as the, 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 the genealogical forefathers of Islam. You see, the animosity that li lived between Jacob and Esau existed for many chapters in the scripture. And it is that same animosity, listen up, that gets crossed in or, or sent down through the family lines of Jacob and Esau. So by definition, Esther, Mordecai, and the captives, the people of Israel that were living in Babylon, were descendants of Jacob, one side, while Haman was the direct descendant of a former king of the Amalekites, the other side. The people of Israel, Jacob's descendants, were now living under Xerxes' rule, and Xerxes gave command to Haman, who hated, who had the history of hating the other side. 
As a result, with that power, if we go back to the conversation from last week, he was able to act on his feelings towards the people of Israel. You see, let me just point this out. Let me make sure you understand. The people in both groups were not around during the time of Jacob and Esau. We can use a common example today if we want to understand hate, right? If we look at how things are broken down in our country, even currently, we would say there's a lot of hate or animosity or hard feelings by one group of people towards the other group of people. Now, you would argue, or the argument by some is that, well, it's historical, which is true. And those that are born today didn't experience the, his, the history of the hate that may have happened generations ago. And yet, they still carry it. It is because hate is passed down. Hate is learned. We are not born with hate. We are not born to hate the next person. To hate a particular enemy. We don't come into this world with the automatic feeling, I don't like them. If you look at children on a playground, have you ever noticed children on a playground will play with any kid? They see a kid who might look a little different from them, but they look the same age, same height, same body type maybe, and they walk up and they start playing. What do they learn? Or what happens oftentimes? Maybe in situations where the kids are different races, you see one parent come, oh, no, no, no. What, that's what we've seen in movies. That's what used to happen historically. No, we don't play. Or we don't go to this playground. We don't play with those kids. And now that child learns this child that looks like this or acts like this is unsafe. We don't like them. We don't mess with them. We don't associate with them. We dislike them. We hate them. And that gets passed down from generation to generation. See, the hate that exists between two entities, the vitriol, the anger that exists between one another, you're not born with it. You've learned it. And chances are someone has passed it down to you. The narratives, the stories, the experience, the perceptions of your ancestors or of ancestors that came before you informs the feelings, the thoughts, and the perceptions of the descendants that currently lead. Let me say that one more time. What you tell your children will influence how they see and view other people. I'll just say it just like that. What your grandmama told you influences how you see other people. What your father or your mother or your aunt or your uncle or your great-grandfather or your great-aunt, what they believed about a certain group of people gets passed down onto you. You just take that in because you are a sponge. Hate is learned. So let me ask you a question. And I'm going to have you do some analysis on yourself. Just think, what hard feelings, what hate 
have you inherited from somebody else? No, 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 no. Sit with that for a second. Where does that hate come from? Where did that hate start? Was it a situation that you were told by someone else and then that informed the way that you see people? Is it a family member? Is it a former friend or a coworker? Is it a romantic partner? Is it a, from a particular group of people? Have they informed the way that you now see people? Do you even remember the reason why you might have hard feelings or hate someone or something. How has that hate or those hard feelings caused you to view, perceive, and better yet, treat other people? You know, during this time of the coronavirus, one of the things that was happening was hate uh, hateful acts, acts of discrimination towards uh, the Asian American community because of some of the things that were being passed on, the narratives that were being passed on, what was being said about the, the connection between those from particular Asian countries and the virus, and it caused for people to perceive and treat them differently, wrongly, hatefully. I know this is a little bit different of a message that you're used to preaching this morning or hearing this morning, but the truth of the matter is hate is just part of our sociological and unfortunately our human interactions. We got to take a look and understanding what hate does to us. You see, hate transforms the way you interact with your fellow human being. Hate informs the way that you treat your neighbor. Hate informs the way that you treat your fellow man. Hate informs the way that you treat your coworker. Hate informs the way that you treat people that you think are beneath you. And that leads us to our second point of the day. You see, the hate that we hold often results in the dismissal of other people. Mm. Oftentimes, when we develop strong negative feelings towards others, it is because we have already established a notion of who they are based off what we see, what we think, and what we feel. Let me make sure that you understand that. This is not coming out of me. This is from the scripture. Let's still go into the scripture to make sure. In verse 8 and 9 of the same chapter, we see Haman, and he says this to the king. Ready? Ready? Listen. Listen to what he says. Certain people are scattered among the nations. They live in the territories in your kingdom. They keep themselves separate from everyone else. They practice, their practices rather, are different from the practices of all other people. They don't obey your laws. It really isn't good for you to put up with them. If it pleases you, give the order to destroy them. Did y'all? hear what just happened no let me let me translate it for you yo king hey yo these folks over here nah they different they isolate themselves from us they don't do the same thing that we do they don't live their lives the way that we do they live their lives differently from the rest of us 
You see, Haman already had a negative view of how those folks lived their lives. And it's that view that then translates itself into hate. Haman's hate towards the people of Israel was fueled by the fact that these people were different from him. That they didn't do things his way. That the way that they did things made him feel uncomfortable. Yo, you ever been in a situation where you want somebody to do something your way and they don't do it your way and then all of a sudden you're like, uh, I don't like them. My, 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 so my wife and I were watching this show and one of the characters, I just really, I can't, I really, I struggle. And I'm just like, I don't like her. I don't like her. I say that to my wife all the time. I don't like her. I don't. She gets on my nerves. I'm not going to tell you who it is. Stay tuned. But it's because she doesn't do things my way. She doesn't handle conflict my way. She's not emotionally, her emotional understanding, I might be giving it away if you know the show that I'm watching. Her emotional understanding of relationships isn't good. She's kind of selfish. She doesn't think about other people. She puts herself first. She expects for people to bow to her. And I'm just like, I don't like you. My God, I hate your character. Huh? She makes me feel uncomfortable. You see, Haman made, excuse me, Mordecai made Haman feel uncomfortable. He didn't like the way that Haman disrespected, or Mordecai disrespected him or chose not to honor him. If we read the scripture, Mordecai chose not to bow to him or honor him or get down on his knee. And you know what? Instead of understanding, he made it a us versus them kind of thing. He had a us versus them attitude. You see, Haman's lack of understanding of the other person let himself to believe that the differences between them were too great. Therefore, the personhood of Mordecai and the rest of the people of Israel were to be dismissed. Do you? Let me say that one more time. The differences that were too big led to the dismissal of the personhood of other people. The essence, the spirit, the nature of other people. Haman thought that they just weren't worth it. You see, we're living in a season of tension here in America. We're weathering the coronavirus. We're weathering social injustice. And now we are weathering the election season. And as we tore, uh, struggle through this season, a season full of turmoil, of stress, of disagreement, I hear the word hate thrown around way too flippantly. People hate maskers. People hate anti-vaxxers. People hate vaxxers. People hate police. People hate Black Lives Matter. People hate the left. People hate the right. We are at a critical place in our nation where the individual or collective opinions and thoughts of people become more important than the essence and personhood of people themselves. What you think about someone else is more important than the actual state of being of the other person. Let me say this to you clearly, especially if you are a believer this morning. The differences between us should never, ever end in the dismissal of personhood of those that we disagree with. 
Let me say that one more time. Just because I disagree with you does not mean that I dismiss you, that I disregard you, that I minimize you. As Christians, we are allowed, heck, we are called to disagree with others, specifically the world, when it comes to withholding biblical principle. I'm going to say that one more time. I'm always going to stand on scripture. My own understanding and how I navigate through the world will always be driven by what I believe the Bible says and how I'm supposed to operate based off of the word of God. Simple. But my disagreements with people on principles does not give me the permission to dismiss them, to disregard them, or to denounce them as people, even though I disagree with them. Why is that important? Stay with me here. Listen, whether people live the way that you want them to live or not, whether people choose choices that you agree or disagree with, whether people are different from you or the same from you, the essence of, stay with me, the essence of that individual is still rooted in the image of God. Let me say that one more time. That person that you disagree with, that you dislike, that you have anger towards, they were also created in the image of God just like you were. You see, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says it very clearly. God created human beings in his likeness. And in James chapter 3, we actually see this come up again, where in the passage, the others that are identified, the non-Christians, the writer is saying, these people are also made in the image of God, and yet you Curse them, Christians, curse them with the same mouth you bless God with. Yup, that person that you hate, that you dislike, that you can't stand to be around, that makes your skin crawl, that person that you speak poorly of, because they don't believe what you believe. They don't think the way that you think. They don't act the way that you act. That person that you might have even... Let me tell you something. I saw Christians, and I'm not going to get political, but I saw quick Christians wishing bad, wishing death on someone, on our president, on Donald Trump, after he got sick with the coronavirus. Now, I'm not going to get into the specifics of that because I'm not going to get political. But as a believer, whether I agree or disagree, whether I have strong feelings or not, the truth of the matter is that man, as well as everybody else that was born and created on the face of this earth, is created in the image of God. So quite frankly, if God created that person in their image, 
Who the heck do you think that you are to hate who God has created? When we hate others, it comes from a place that we believe that their differences make them unworthy of our affection, of our approval, of our love, of our valuation, of our grace, of our blessing, of our abundance, of our empathy. When we declare hate on other people, what we have truly done is we have condemned them. Who do you think that you are that you can condemn somebody else? I'm looking right at you. Who do you think that you are that you can condemn somebody else the state of who they are because of what they believe? Who do you think that you can condemn somebody else because of how they think? Who are you to condemn somebody else because of how they act? Are we called to live differently? Yes. Are we called to hold keep people accountable? Yes. But we ain't called to condemn people, y'all. You may dislike, you may hold principles, and you may stand on the word of God with grace and with confidence, but you ain't got no right to condemn what God has created. That's God's job. Let me say that one more time. I don't care what that person believes. I don't care what that person does. You ain't got the right to condemn them because you ain't God. You ain't create them. You ain't, they aren't made in your image. They're made in his. And if you call yourself a follower of Christ, listen to me. There is no place for hate to live within you. Listen to Galatians 5, verse 19 to 20. Listen, when Paul was writing these letters, right? These letters are called the epistles, and Galatians is part of one of those letters. When he's writing these letters, he's writing to Christians, Okay? So understand this. He's talking to us. He's talking to y'all that believe. Ready? Galatians 5, verse 19 through 20. The results of sin's control in our lives is clear. It includes sexual sin, impure acts, and wild living. A lot of Christians try to be like, yeah, sexual sin, impure acts, wild living. You out here partying. You out here having crazy sex. Sure, 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 sure. Bum, bum, bum. Wagging the finger. But guess what? If you keep going, look at this. It also includes hatred, fighting, jealousy, and fits of anger. Look at that word. Hatred, hatred, hatred. You see... We are too quick to call out some of the issues that are going on in the world when we ain't quick enough to call out the hate that exists in the church and the body of Christ. I'm going to say it one more time. There is hate that exists in the body of Christ that needs to be removed. Some of y'all be hating on those that don't believe, that don't live by the way that you live. And yet you are looking at certain things, but you ain't calling out the very things that God disdains and God avoids that's going on in your own life. Look at Ephesians verse 4 through 31. Get rid of hard feelings, anger, and rage. Stop all the fighting. 
don't have anything to do with this kind of hatred. In the church right now, there's too much infighting. There's too much beef. There's too much squabbling. Hatred, anger, rage, jealousy, tension, dissension have no place as Christians in the body of Christ. This is not limited to how Christians feel towards non-Christians. We're going to have that conversation at another time. But what we are speaking to is how Christians treat other Christians. Christians speak about other Christians that they disagree with and, and that disagree with their worldview with such a sense of vitriol and disgust. They speak with slander, sin, malice, sin, anger, sin, and they don't realize that trying to stand on their biblical principle, they are in fact living out the same sinful behavior that God is speaking about in the scripture. Instead of reflecting fruits of the spirit, they were reflecting fruits of the flesh. But what does the Bible tell us in the same chapter? That the fruits of the spirit, as said in Galatians 5, it's not hatred, it's not malice, it's love, it's joy, it's peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see, if a believer is living out with hate and pointing out with hate the things in other people, the problem is in other people. And that brings us to our next point. Hate reflects what is wrong with you, <laughs> not others. Oh, let me say that again. Mm. Hate reflects what is wrong with you, not with other people. You see, going back to the scripture, Haman was elevated by the king. He was placed in this position of power, of influence, of status. And again, he was second in command. And in verse 1, we see that with his position came the orders that people were supposed to bow to him. But Mordecai did not do that. Now, going back to what theologians believe that it was not religion that caused Mordecai not to bow. They actually believe that they think Mordecai saw Haman as just a straight up evil, dishonorable man. And he did not want to bow. What's crazy is that Haman didn't even recognize at first that he didn't bow. It's like he had no idea. Instead, his people came to him and said, hey, yo, hey, yo, hey, yo, look, hey, yo, Pete, listen up. That dude, Mordecai, he didn't bow yet. He's disrespecting you. What you finna do about that? Remember what we talked about last week? What you about to do about that? And it's at that point that Mordecai gets burned up with anger. Excuse me, that Haman gets burned up with anger. You see, Haman was obsessed with being honored. He was obsessed with people identifying the things in him that he wanted them to identify. And later on in chapter 5, we get a better glimpse of it. I'm going to just read this real quick, right? Chapter 5, 5, verse 9, it says, Haman was happy, so he left the palace in a good mood. He's chilling. But then he saw Mordecai at the palace gate. He noticed that Mordecai didn't honor him when he walked by. In fact, Mordecai didn't give him any respect at all. So Haman was very angry with him. 
But Haman was able to control himself. He went home and he called his friends together and his wife Zeresh. And he bragged to them about how rich he was. Listen to this, y'all. Listen to this, y'all. He bragged about how rich he was. He bragged about how many sons he had. He bragged about the king and how the king had honored him. He bragged about being in a high position. He was higher than all the other nobles and officials. And he said, and that's not all. I'm the only person invited to come with the king to a feast that Queen Esther gave. Now she's invited me along with the king tomorrow. Wait, listen to verse 13. But even all of that doesn't satisfy me. I won't be satisfied as long as that Jew Mordecai sitting at that palace is sitting at that palace gate. Y'all ever put something on Facebook or Instagram? Y'all put up a post and you think you fly? And everybody, like, 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 oh, girl, you so fine. Oh, girl, look at your hair. Yes. Hey, yo, them shoes is tight. Hey, yo, get it, boy. Yo, you killed it. And then you got that one person that just hates on you. And all of a sudden, what happens to you? You get tight. But not only are you tight. You disregard all the other good things that everybody else has said. And you focus on the one negative thing that that person said in the comments. And that begins to play in your mind. You see, Haman was filled with hate because one man out of many didn't fall in line with his own expectations. Because Haman saw himself as successful. Everyone else was supposed to be, see him as successful. Because Haman saw himself as great, everyone else was supposed to see him as great. The evil and hate, this evil and hate, was more of an indication of how Haman felt about himself more than what was going on with other people. This is something that we all deal with. And the truth of the matter is, hate is a heart issue. Let me say that one more time. Hate is a heart issue. The anger and hate that we feel towards others is more reflective of the negative feelings that we feel towards ourselves rather than what may be actually going on with people. I ain't here to tell you that people ain't going to get on your nerves. People get on your nerves. People bother you. People are aggy. Sometimes you just want to turn around and be like, will you shut up? Like, shut up. Like, go away. Leave me alone. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. That happens, y'all. But what really is going on when we feel hate is what is going on inside of us internally that's causing us to hate others. A licensed uh, clinical therapist, her name is Allison Abrams, she wrote a piece in Psychology Today, and it struck a chord with me. She hit on some things. She said, hate, the psychology of hate is one. We project what we may be feeling about ourselves onto other people. It means that when we hate on someone, it's more as a result of the, the inadequacy that we may feel or the issues that we have, and we put that on other people instead of dealing with it on ourselves, right? Sometimes we hate. We do it in order to fill a void that we have. We are so... We have this empty hole in our hearts that we need to distract from our own pain. So we hate on other people so that we don't feel shame, that we don't feel helplessness, that we don't feel powerlessness. 
we also hate on other people because we have lack of compassion for ourselves. You see, when you see yourself as flawed, when you see yourself as imperfect, and you're able to accept that, you're able to accept the imperfection and flaws in other people. But when you struggle with your own inadequacy, when you struggle with your own imperfection, when other people mess up, you get really upset, or even worse, when other people are good and better than the areas that you think you're failing in, you get really, really upset. You see, Ms. Abrams is summing it up, and the Bible says it even more clearly. Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. Out of your heart flows what happens in your life. Simply, we speak on and act on the things that we already hold deep within us. And that means this, y'all. Examine the content of your heart and your mind. You see... When we have hate brewing up inside of us, it's our responsibility to do some deep digging. Because that means that there is something within our fleshly self. Whenever the Bible says flesh, it's talking about your human self. There's something within your humanity that is activating and keeping our godly selves, the spirit that lives inside of us, from stepping up in the moment. And let me be honest with y'all, sometimes that joint is really hard. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's blinding. Sometimes what our flesh is going through feels too strong and too right. And just to keep it a stack, sometimes we just want to hate. Sometimes we want to be in that place of anger. That is a human thing. And the Bible even says that. Yo, the heart is dishonest. Sometimes the heart can't be healed. Who's, who's, who's able to understand it? It's God that looks into your heart and he sees what's going on in your mind and your heart. You see, you may not know the reason why you have hate. You may not know why the hate may exist in your heart. You may not know why you have such negative feelings toward this people or this person or this group of people. But let me tell you something you have to allow for God to do the work inside of your heart and expose the parts of your heart and your mind that push you to a place where you can hate somebody. If you hate somebody, if you got strong feelings towards somebody today, you have to allow for God to go in with that scalpel and cut your heart and cut your mind and be like, this is the reason why you hating. This is the reason why you hating. This is the reason why you have these feelings. Will you allow for God to examine you and figure you out? In the book of Hebrews, it says that God uses his word. He comes through his word. And he can cut you like a two-edged sword so he can figure out your thoughts, your intentions, and, the, and what's going on in your heart and in your mind. As we close, uh, I want to read a verse to top this off. It's one of my favorite verses. It says from Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thought. Try me and know my thoughts. But I love the way the NRV say it, says it. It says it like this. God, see what is in my heart. Know what is there. Test me. Know what I'm thinking. See if there's anything in my life that you don't like. Help me live in the way that is always right. You see, this verse became my anthem at a point where I was struggling at work. I had a boss that I was working for, and I really did not like that man. I actually felt like I hated him. 
And as a result, I felt this rage that started, he would walk past me and I'd start, you know when you, and you can't get out of character, but it's right there. And I realized that my spirit was treading on really dangerous ground. So at that point, I put three cubicle verses up in my cubicle and I said to God, I need you to step in, search my heart, help me understand what I'm truly feeling and thinking, feeling and thinking towards this man. And God began to shape me and shift me. And that hate that I felt began to turn into compassion. I saw him differently. I looked at him differently. If there's an area of hate today in your life, ask for the Lord to examine your heart. Ask for him to take a look at you, to be with you, to check you out, tell you your intentions. Then he could begin to transform you. See, that's another conversation that we need to have, how we begin to trans be transformed from hate into love. And for today, we got to just first identify it. We got to figure out, see if there be a wicked way in me, God, shift it and fix it.